You are listening to episode 32 of the Happy Outdoor Families podcast. And today I have invited Rob and Sarah Gardner to come on the show to talk about their passion for the national parks and the endangered animals that live there. I enjoyed chatting with them about their experiences with the parks and what they are doing to give back to the National Park Foundation and support their mission. Listen in. Welcome to Happy Outdoor Families, the podcast that encourages and equips families to spend more time exploring and playing together outside. I'm your host, Emily Eisenbarger, and I hope that as you listen in each week, you will feel inspired and excited about reconnecting your kids and yourselves with the outdoors. Each Monday, I will be bringing you a grown-up episode featuring conversations about all things outdoor play and adventure-related. Every Wednesday, make sure you tune in for an episode just for the kids to listen to with their grown-ups, where I will bring you a simple play invitation to get you started with some fun, open-ended outdoor play. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Rob and Sarah Gardner are parents and outdoor enthusiasts who have a passion for our national parks. After many family trips exploring the parks, they wanted to find a way to support these national treasures. Through their baby gear company, Juvie, they have partnered with the National Park Foundation to bring awareness to families about the importance of these spaces and more specifically about the endangered animals that call the parks home. I'm excited today to talk more about our national parks and how we can help our children grow up to be environmental stewards, to cultivate a connection between them and the land and the animals that live there. Rob and Sarah, I am so excited that you could come in and talk with us. Welcome to Happy Outdoor Families. Thanks for having us today, Emily. We appreciate it. We're happy to be here. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're excited. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and your family and your background with the national parks? When it comes to a high chair or a play yard or one of these common household products that that we do as a business, we wanted to really take that basic product and then tie it to a park or an animal. And so, um, you know, from from our standpoint, from a company standpoint, um, you know, that's super important. But more importantly, from our family standpoint, it was 2016 that we took our big road trip to Yellowstone through onto Mount Rushmore and then all the way around down through Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that was the centennial of the National Park Service. And so everywhere we went, they had shirts and different gear and stuff like that. And we just, Sarah and I talked for about 4,000 miles and said, we've got to figure out a way to get involved in this because it's, you know, giving me goosebumps to talk about that trip right now. It was a, a trip that Sarah planned for what, a year? Yeah, actually, um, I gave it to you for Christmas one year, if you remember. I, I planned the whole thing um, about almost a year in advance. Wow. The entire itinerary, booked all the hotels, all the mileage, and then wrapped it up and put it under the tree. So it oh, was a, a very present. well-planned trip. And that's yeah. what made the trip so great. It was that the, the family was there together, number one. But the, the diligence Sarah took in booking the trip and getting the the right spots and where we could stay in the parks at the lodge and that kind of stuff. You know, that was that was the trip. And so really this this partnership was almost a five-year you know process that we went through of talking about it personally between us and then reaching out to the National Park Foundation 
getting in, engaged with them and understanding how they worked and how you know the funding worked for the National Park Service. And then it was we signed the agreement with them to do it. And then we had an epiphany when we went to the National Park Foundation uh, summit that that first year, where they bring in all the different vendors and they talk about what's going on. And it was in actually in Death Valley at the park there. And we were just blown away by the whole thing. And so that's where the real idea came out later to take this even a step further and bring in animals, you know, endangered yeah. animals that live in the park. So I'm going to let Sarah talk from there about, you know, how she's engaged with the Park Service and the National Park Foundation and what they've done to really educate us to the animals and, and to the mm -hmm. Park Service. So, you know, it was really a strategy that both of us started in this road trip. And then we really saw it through over the next four years. So, Right. Yeah. So we were, um, we knew we wanted to do something and give back to the National Park Service. Um, the National Park Foundation is the charitable arm of the, um, the official charity of the National Park Service. And we were trying to find a way that we could do that and teach young families and connect them to the national parks. And that's when we came up with the idea of, um, you know, supporting the endangered animals and the habitats that they live in. So it was a, it was an interesting process, um, you know, coming up with this list of animals and then doing a lot of research and working with the um, National Park Service and the Biological Research Division to write these books and fact check them and make sure that everything that we are sharing with children and, and families is actually accurate information. Yeah. And I love that you've chosen to focus on the animals because that's such an easy way to help young kids develop a connection. Children love animals and they can build that sense of connection and care just being introduced to these different endangered animals that they don't necessarily see in their backyard. That's for sure. I mean, we, we took a trip to Moss Landing. The first animal that we did was the southern sea otter. And so we drove up to Moss Landing, loaded the kids in the car with our 12-year-old, our 15-year-old daughter, and our 17-year-old daughter. And we drove, what was it, seven hours up there? Yeah. So Moss Landing, for those of you who are not familiar, is um, in central California uh, around Monterey. Right. And so we drove up to see the southern sea otters. And we went to the back yeah. area. What was that area called? The, it was an estuary. Yeah, the estuary. And we just saw no southern sea otters. And so we'd driven mm -hmm. five, seven hours. We get there. We don't see any. And then Sarah said, well, there's another spot at Moss Landing. Let's drive over there. And we turned left off of PCH, Pacific Coast Highway, into this dirt little dirt road. And there was a southern sea otter floating in the water right there. Aww. And it was <laughs> unbelievable for our family, like everybody jumped out of the car and we had cameras going. And this little guy was just floating on his back, just minding <laughs> his own business. And it was fantastic. I mean, it was just incredible. I can't really put into words how that day of seeing when we saw what, seven or eight that day, mm -hmm. sea otters floating around and they actually just lay on their back and sleep in the water. It's a, it's a phenomenal yeah. thing to see. And uh, they were within what? 20 yards of us, yeah, really, really close. close. So it was really cool. And that's the kind yeah. of thing that the animals do. They make it real when you really see them, you, oh. you know? And so that was, for me, that was such a successful uh, day. And, and the whole drive home didn't seem like anything because it was such a su successful trip. So let's talk a little bit about kind of why you feel like all of this matters, right? So when you think about the national parks, 
Why do you think that these spaces are important? And how do you think that families benefit from the parks? Well, our, our national parks, they are not only these beautiful parks that you think of, you know, Yosemite, Grand Canyon, Yellowstone. The national parks are also, it's a, it's a system of over 400 parks. And there's actually a lot of historical parks and battlefields and statues. So the parks not only have all of these wonderful nature you know, benefits, but they also have a lot of historical and heritage benefits to, to families. And it's much more fun to learn that way than, you know, off of, out of, out of a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the heritage is really the key to it. Every family has a heritage and as a country, we have a heritage. And so, you know, the, the beauty of what's happening in the world is now to embrace all these heritages, you know, to be inclusive of everybody. And so the, the parks are just so incredibly different. And like Sarah said, some of them are houses or, or things mm -hmm. th that are important to our history. So they're, they're across the board different. And then there's, everybody is within, you know, an hour, they say of some yeah, park. About a hundred miles, there's a park. So it's a, they're clustered in certain areas, but it's really incredible. We just did a, our family trip two weeks ago to uh, Grand Teton National Park which was unbelievable. Oh, yeah. We've we had never been there. And then we went to the Badlands in South Dakota. And it was like two different worlds. It was like going from oh, yeah. Mars to the moon, you know, and, and how different <laughs> they were. And they were both incredibly satisfying. And we got, we knew Grand Teton was going to be incredible. And then we were blown away with the Badlands and how cool it was and our sunset drive, the animals we saw and just the complete difference. It was amazing. And that gives our family, those memories that are priceless to me. Yeah, so. we just, um, now how, about a month ago, our family went up to Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And just kind of talking about these different parks, that's another one that's just totally different than, you know, the ones that you're mentioning. I've never even of heard of that West. one. Oh, it's amazing. And anyway, I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent talking about Mammoth Cave, but we, we love our parks. And just like you're saying, there's such a variety in not only in the in the nature, but in what you learn when you go there, the history, that heritage that's connected to these spaces. So when we went, we we checked out the visitor center, which I know the opportunities at the parks are going to vary based on how big they are and kind of what the purpose of the park is. But uh, we have young kids. So we've got a approximately seven, five, and three. Um, we visited the, the visitor center there. They had a museum where the kids could learn about the caves and, you know, become junior park rangers. And they just do a wonderful job, the national parks, of providing those kind of opportunities to kids as well so that they can feel that sense of pride and connection to these spaces when they do visit. Yeah, the junior rangers is really a cool program and the pins they give out. And uh, we, I think the pandemic kind of impacted that a little bit, but hopefully yeah. we'll come back soon. One of the wonderful things that actually the National Park Service and the National Park Foundation did during um, this last year is they made a lot of these programs available online. So they've created yes. a whole um, resource called the Parkade, which if you go online, there's all different kinds of activities for kids and different ways to learn about the parks. And you can actually complete activities and then send them in and they'll mail you your badge. So they've really kind of, they've tried to adapt uh, over the last year. Yeah, and we were fortunate when we visited. Some of those things, those programs are starting to come back. 
which is nice. And I know they've done a great job kind of keeping that at a safe level and, and helping you to feel comfortable being able to participate in those things. But I love that they did make a lot of that available online so that we still have those opportunities. And I think a lot about how um, visiting a national park is not necessarily going to be an everyday or every week occurrence for a lot of families. It might even be, especially for some of those big parks, more of a once in a lifetime experience for people. And so I, I think then I ask myself the question kind of how can we help our kids feel connected to these parks and care about them when they aren't regularly in those spaces? And so one of those answers is, you know, through the programming that they make available virtually. Um, but do you have any other thoughts on that? How can we help our kids to feel connected to the national parks? Well, for me, I'll jump in real quick. You know, we've got extensive travel history in the Western U.S. and the parks, and at least 50% of the visitors we see are international. They're either from mm -hmm. Europe or Asia. And so I think it's that you're right. These are big trips that take planning and in and the budget. But we hope people will plan to go to the national parks more than, say, you know, going to Europe or something like that. Because we're seeing that it's a big the, – the percentages and what the National Park Foundation is showing us with what's going to happen to the international visitors is amazing. Mm -hmm. And now I don't know how the pandemic is going to affect, affect that. But, um, you know, that's the big thing for us is to get Americans to see these parks and to try to, you know, inspire them to make a trip. Just like you said, it, once a year would be fantastic. And I think also yeah. that the thing that you need to keep in mind as well is um, we have it on our website, gv.com, and it's also on the National Park Service website. There's a park finder. So you can go in and find out all the parks listed in your state. And there's usually one within 100 miles. And also there are all different levels of accommodations. So while visiting the parks can be expensive. You can also, there's camping available and they're all different mm -hmm. levels of hotels. You can stay in gateway cities, which are right outside the parks. So there are a lot of options too when, when you're planning. And another thing I'll point out, um, a program that the national parks has is their, now what is it called? Um, their Every Kid Outdoors program. And so for listeners, if, they, if you have fourth graders, um, you can get a free pass to the national parks for the, your child's fourth grade year. So that can be another way to kind of um, curb some of the costs. Although not every national park even has a cost associated to get in, which is another thing. Uh, right. That is note. a wonderful um, program that they offer for that uh, yeah. fourth grade year. And we do have a, several um, free park days throughout the year as well. Yeah. And so look into those things, see which parks are near you and make it a priority to be able to visit. It doesn't have to be Yellowstone or one of you know, the most famous parks, but there is a park nearby. I think that's good to know. So I do want to back up, and you brought up that with um, Juvie's partnership with the National Parks Foundation, one of the things that you're focusing on is those endangered animals in the parks. So why is that an issue that stood out to you? And can you maybe talk about a few of the animals that you've specifically been learning about and what is happening to their habitats? Okay, we can. I'll, I'll start on that yeah. one. Okay, <laughs> I feel like I'm an. I don't want to say a complete expert, but I've done a lot of research on these animals yeah. over the last year. Um, our first product that uh, we came out with was uh, our newborn, our Nook newborn, in our Nook high chair, and we attached the southern sea otter 
to that that product. And the southern sea otter lives in really the central part of California. They're just under 3,000 of them. And the main um, issue for southern sea otters, it's really human disturbance. So it's fishermen, kayakers, swimmers, people in the water. Um, Rob mentioned earlier that southern sea otters sleep in the water on their backs. They need to sleep most of the day. They are either sleeping or eating, and that's the way they sustain they sustain themselves. They um, have the most fur uh, of any mammal. They don't have blubber like a lot of other marine mammals, so it's important for them to eat to stay warm. So anytime a human is disturbing them, that affects how they live. Yeah. So another animal that we actually were, we didn't get to see was the black-footed ferret. He lives in Badlands National Park, and we are coming out with a, a walker. And that, that's an interesting story, though, just talking about that was an animal that was extinct and now isn't. Oh. And so mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so they believed the black-footed ferret to be extinct. And then I think it was in the 80s, they found a small group of them. Wow. And scientists kind of rounded them up and took them in and tried to, you know, revive the population. So now they're about between Badlands National Park and Wind Cave National Park. They're between two to 300. The population kind of hovers there. And their main issue um, currently for survival is um, disease. You know, so. They eat prairie dogs. And so we we lost a dog a few years ago and we we're thinking about getting a new dog and I'm convinced it's going to be a prairie dog. <laughs> so <laughs> we saw a lot of those at, in the Badlands, and they are really cute. Yeah. And it's unbelievable oh, yeah. how they really are. We saw the moms cleaning the babies and the whole thing. It's really, it was really interesting. But run down yeah. all the, the, we had 12 animals. You've done two now. Right. So, um, so the, and then after the um, black-footed ferret, the next one we have is the Sonoran pronghorn. And he lives in the um, really the southwestern part of the United States. Oregon Pipe National Oregon Park. Pipe National uh, Monument. And again, he he suffers because um, they have a wide range. They roam looking for water. And since our population has grown, we've put up fences and roads. Um, it makes it not possible for them to get from place to place as well as they used to be. So they mm-hmm. they suffer from that. And then we've got the um, Hawaiian hoary bat, which lives in Hawaii. And he is an interesting bat because he does not live in caves like a lot of bats. He roosts in trees. Oh, interesting. So one of his um, issues with survival is now, again, with population growth, uh, we're cutting down a lot of trees to build things. We're putting up wires, um, not wires, uh, cell phone towers and things like that. So their habitat is affected in that way. Yeah, And from a product st- side, then I had to come in and say, hey, we can't just do cute animals. We have to do <laughs> all animals, right? So that's <laughs> why we picked the hoary bat. And then mm-hmm. there's a few others that are on the list too that just aren't cute. The southern sea otter is cute. The black-footed yeah. ferret is cute. <laughs> but the hoary bat is not what I would say. They're they're really growing on me as we get to know them. But um, we thought it was important to do the animals that needed attention. So there's a whole array of different animals that we've already started uh, looking at, and we'd like to write a children's book about each one, you know, so that we can edu- cool. start that educational thing. And then also produce videos. I mean, if you go find our 
our uh, Southern Sea Otter video, some of that sh was stuff we actually shot on our trip. So we oh, think that's kind of cool that we're we're behind the scenes shooting some of these things too. And so uh, on this last trip, we saw bison in Grand Teton. We saw pronghorn, a different kind of pronghorn. We saw um, deer. And there was a famous grizzly bear, number 399, that we did not see, but she's got four cubs. And she travels that whole Jackson Hole Valley and does whatever she wants. And she's just a, a celebrity now. And yeah. it's really interesting and cool how you can have such a creature like that just roaming around and everybody fully supports it in the, in the valley. It's really an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. And each one has their own story. I mean, going back to the Southern Sea Otter, he's actually a keystone species. So he is important for the survival. One of the big things that he eats, um, he lives in kelp forests. And one of the big things he eats are sea urchins. Well, sea urchins eat the kelp. So it's just, it's like a big circle of life. So yeah. the um, southern sea otters eat the sea urchins, so the sea urchins don't eat the kelp. The kelp beds are um, home to many marine mammals. So they have a very important job to do. So I think with, as we tell the story of all of these animals, we are also trying to say, hey, these, this is what's happening to them and this is why they're important. This is why you need to care about them because yeah. everybody has a job to do. Um, every animal has its own special job. I love that you're bringing awareness to this because we want to encourage families to visit the parks and be in the parks. And I think in the past year and a half, especially during COVID, the outdoors became even more important to a lot of families. That was the, the place that we could be and feel safe and recreate together, right? I agree. And so we've seen this increase in, in visits to the parks but at the same time, with that, we also have to increase awareness of taking care of the parks and taking care of the habitats. Like you were mentioning with several of these animals, you know, the sea otters, that a lot of the issue is human disturbance and, and people being in those habitats. So as we're encouraging people to be outside more and be in the national parks, we also have to encourage people and, and teach people how to care about the parks and how to be aware of and care for those habitats that we are coming into. So when we think about that, what can our children do to take care of these animals and their habitats? One little thing that comes to mind right away is just, you know, picking up your trash, you know, leave no trace. Yeah. Wherever you go, whether it's a local park or a national park or, you know, your local city park, that leave it exactly how you left it or leave it better than you left it. If you see something on the ground, pick it up, throw it away. Um, that's one of the easy lessons we can teach children from the very beginning. And, and children learn by example. So we need to do that so they see us respecting the environment and, and they will follow. It's the awareness. Kids are, don't, the, the, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And when they see mom and dad caring, then it, it, it's almost an automatic that they care. The parks, you know, the, the, the budget shortfall, I think, is $7 billion now of upkeep oh, wow. that they need. And that's really a big part of what we want to get that message out. And that's why we're donating the money that we're donating to the parks is that they need it. And it's our heritage. It's our history. It's our foundation for everything. And the, the reason we're focusing on these animals that are in the parks is it just makes sense to pick, you know, the, we have 
a national park that can support an animal with the habitat that we then try to educate moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, kids about those issues and the, and the land grab or the, the different issues that, that we're doing to these animals. So, yeah. you know, that's, we were blown away with the one message we took away from the summit at the National Park Foundation was just get the word out. Get the word out. That's the main thing. Talk about these things. Get people to be aware. And that's why Sarah and I are trying to you know, talk to people like you. I mean, what you're doing with this podcast is incredible. And we need more people and more. And it just is a snowball effect. And that's how we see it. And so, you know, we're, we stopped drinking water bottles, what, a year and a half ago or a year ago? And it's amazing to me how many we wasted and how many we threw away. You know, now, you know, so all of the, every little thing that you can do, you don't think it's much, but it is a lot. And then, you know, taking your child to a national park and teaching them about the heritage of our country and why we have these parks is a pretty cool lesson. Sarah, you know, from, from our standpoint, it's incredible what our kids see us doing here. I mean, dad, you're a business guy. I mean, what is this park thing? And what is these, I mean, it's really, really changes the game from a business standpoint to care about something, to have a cause, to say, we're going to give money for this no matter what. Do you know what I mean? It's a, yeah. it's a game changer. And we hope that we can just be an example and people can, you know, try to follow our lead a little bit. And it's, it's just the deeper we get into it, the more we like it. The, um, I'm going to add one thing there. When we first started this project and I was doing all of this research on the animals and I would come to Rob and I'd be like, oh my God, listen to this fact. It is so cool. <laughs> and I was getting so excited. And he he reminded me, he's like, we, we are trying to sell product as well, <laughs> not, not just uh, the animals. But I we've just become so passionate about really the project and about sharing the knowledge that we've learned about the animals with everyone that yeah. um, everything else has kind of become secondary. Our, our focus and passion is really just about education. When we talk about the animals, that's where the kids, their eyes light up, you know, when you can really yeah. talk and really, I think that that's, it, it's hard to always connect like that with, with the child. And then that, that, you know, animal common denominator really elevates the, the memories, I guess. Yeah. I know for me and, and I've got three little girls and they all just love animals. And especially my middle child, she is very, very into nonfiction kids' books. Like she loves reading the like animal facts books. So she would be super excited about this juvie line that you've created, I'm sure, and learning about these animals. And I think you're right. I think they do. Um, they create a special connection, especially for kids. And I think when we have those, those memories especially with our families, that that will kind of stick with us even more those times that we have in the park. And hopefully, and I hope this for my own children, that as they have those memories growing up and visiting the parks, that that will create a connection for them that will encourage them to then go on and be um, environmental stewards and they will care about the land and that they will you know, take steps to preserve the land and to help these animals so that hopefully by the time they're grown up, there won't be, they won't be on the endangered list anymore. Then they can bring their kids and see them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask, um, as we're kind of wrapping up here, 
What final advice would you give to families, especially young families, who want to encourage their children to care for the environment and who want to build a connection with the outdoors together as a family? I would say go outside from the very beginning. You know, whether you have your baby in a carrier or in a stroller, just from the very beginning, take them outside um, on walks in your yard to your local park. Um, we talked earlier about recycling, reusing things, um, shopping. You know, there, you we all buy too many clothes. You know, mm. we can rewear things. We can shop secondhand. Mm. Just really, just teaching them from the beginning all of those things. And it's funny the lessons you learn just by doing things, just by living life and just living a good life yourself and a responsible life. Then your children learn that way. I agree. And then there's always, if you put a little bit of cycles on it and think a little bit ahead, um, one of the things that I recently purchased that has been really cool with the kids is binoculars. So oh, yeah. when you do see something and then you like whip out a pair of binoculars and now you're seeing it four or five times closer, it, kids love it. And so, you yeah. know, that's the, the only problem then is everybody's trying to grab the binoculars. But, you know, we... <laughs> That, that's that's one of the things that – so if you have just a little something in your pocket hidden or something like that that can relate or, you know, a flashlight is another thing that I think is really cool when kids have their own flashlight. So, you know, if you are camping or something, it gives them a real sense of, okay, I have a light if I need it. So oh, yeah. I'm a gear guy. I like to be prepared when I get out there. And so those are things that, you know, you do have to buy. So it, mm -hmm. it is materialistic a little bit. But um, – some of those tools can really personalize the animal visit too. So I, I think that uh, consider some of those. And obviously, the more pictures and videos, the better, because those are going to be great memories. So the last question that I like to ask my guests that come on the show is, what is your favorite way to spend time outside? Currently, right now, just cooking dinner outside. We have a great backyard. We have a big tree. And we have I have the head of product development here from Israel has been in the country and he came over and he ate in the backyard with us. We cooked in the backyard. We ate in the backyard. And he goes, Oh, this is wonderful. You know, he, mm -hmm. he really, it just was blown away. Like, why don't you guys eat out here every night? So that's my new little toy thing. And, uh, I'll let Sarah finish, but she, I, I, you know, just going outside, it can be in the backyard and you can have great stuff too. So. Absolutely. I, I actually agree with Rob on that. I mean, I, we've done a, we've been really lucky to do some amazing trips to national parks and different places um, in the United States. But one of my favorite things to do is just to take a walk outside. Um, we did that a lot this last year over the pandemic. We took a lot of walks together during the morning or even at night and just taking a walk. And my favorite time to do it is early in the morning, not listening to anything on my headset, just walking and listening to the sounds outside, what, whatever it is, whether they're birds or even cars or just whatever's going on around me. I love that. And I think that is a wonderful way to wrap up. Like you said, going outside, even just in your yard, in your neighborhood, taking a walk, these things are so valuable. So Rob and Sarah, I want to thank you again for coming on and um, bringing us all a little bit more awareness about our national parks and the animals that live there. And thank you so much for all the work that you are doing and the ways that you are giving back to care about these spaces. 
Well, well, thanks for having us. Yeah, we hope to meet you one day in a park. So we'll have to try to put that together sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope that this conversation has gotten you excited and motivated to put a few more national parks on your list of places to visit. If you don't know what national parks and monuments are near you, you can go to findyourpark.com and explore there and see what kind of parks might interest you and that you could visit nearby. I also hope that this interview will help us all to pause and be a little bit more aware of the environments that we inhabit and how we can honor and protect the wildlife that call our national parks home and also have a greater appreciation for these spaces and all that they can give to us and our families. I love the national parks and I always love when companies use their influence for good so I also wanted to point out that 5% of any purchase from Juvie's National Parks line goes directly to the National Parks Foundation, while also helping you and your child to get acquainted with one of the endangered animals that call our parks home. You can check that out and find some fun animal facts and coloring pages at juvie.com. And I'll link that in the show notes, as well as some of the National Park Foundation web pages that I think are particularly helpful. I would love to hear about your experiences with the National Park Service and if you have a favorite park or one that you are dying to visit. The best place that you can connect with me and join these conversations is over on Instagram at Happy Outdoor Families. And if you have been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you would take a second and leave me a rating and a review in your podcast app. And maybe there is someone in your life a friend or a teacher or an outdoor playgroup that would love the show and you could share it with them. As always, I so appreciate you taking the time to be here and listen. I will be back on Wednesday for another playtime installment where I will provide you with a simple play invitation to use with your young kids. I hope that you all have a great week and until next time, I will see you outside.